I welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to I believe episode 10, if I'm not mistaken. Episode 10, we've hit double uh, digits. Of the Breaking the Rock podcast here at Limestone University Athletics. I'm Michael Sanders, alongside, as always, Jordan Perry. How are we doing today, Jordan? Got a great week ahead of us, Mikey. We Good do. guest starting the week and ready to go for double digit number 10. Double digit number 10. Always a great time. And you're right. We do have a, a, a good guest on today. And, you know, it's one of those that if you've been a fan of limestone athletics for a few years, and it's particularly if you've been a fan of the limestone men's lacrosse team, uh, this name will be very familiar to you for sure. Um, played four years here at limestone. Um, arguably one of the better players we've had in history. And I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, I, I, you know, I'm on the Hall of Fame committee, so I think I can pretty much guarantee that he's probably going to be a future Limestone Hall of Famer. It's only um, a matter of time. Yeah, you know, we give him a little bit of, little bit of room to, to breathe before we put him in. But uh, he's, he's already been very accomplished outside of school as well, moving his uh, way through the professional ranks a little bit, as well as also uh, the coaching ranks a few years here as well before he – just made his way back to Limestone and started just about a week ago, so we've already got him on the podcast here. So again, like I said, anybody who's a fan of Limestone Athletics will know this name, and we'll join with him now, Kevin Reisman. Kevin, how are we doing today? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we do this podcast, obviously. We want to get to know you a little bit better as a person, a little bit better as a player, a little bit better as a coach, but we want to know what got you started with lacrosse? Because, you know, obviously you're from the North. Yeah. And moving down to South Carolina, obviously, probably a different thing because we don't really have lacrosse down here when you would have been young. Mm-hmm. That wasn't really a thing. Um, obviously, in New York and that area, it's a big thing. So yeah. what really got you into lacrosse in the first place? So my father played when you were growing up. So I think in my town, you couldn't join until third grade. So my brother started in third grade. I was in first. And just, you know, being the younger brother, always seeing him play lacrosse in the backyard and then go into his practices you know I just always had the stick in my hand and then when I was able to play and my parents signed me up and the rest is history. So now normally you know when you're in a town like that your dad played did your dad coach you at all when you were growing up or was that kind of a you know more of a just being yeah. a dad figure? He uh, he coached me like he was you know like my youth league football coach my youth league uh, lacrosse coach um, probably all the way up till about junior high when I was able to play on the junior high team there's no need to play youth league anymore so uh yeah I mean he coached me a little bit but you know he wasn't too big into the sport of lacrosse growing up he just kind of played because his friends played so and my brother didn't really it didn't attract him as much but for me uh being you know more into sports than my brother and my father I just I just latched on to it so we asked this question you know to some other people um but, you know, you come from a family, they both, your dad and your brother played, but, you know, they didn't have, like, you know, the intense love for mm-hmm. it. You know, at what period, at what point of your life did you realize, like, both, A, I love this game, B, I'm really good at this game? Uh, I think I always knew that I loved the game. I didn't really think until about the summer going in to ninth grade that I was like, oh, wow, I think I'm actually pretty good at this. <laughs> Where I was, like, thinking, I was like, maybe I could do, you know, Go, this is a good route to get into college. Um, that was probably going to like my summer of ninth grade, playing just summer lacrosse. Yeah, the high school starting to get interested in yes. you. You, you want to play varsity, I'm sure. It, and yeah. And you know, so we'll move into your high school years. You weren't just a lacrosse player in high school. You you did a few different sports. Take us through a little bit about what it meant to be kind of be 
a well-rounded athlete through high school, but kind of focused there lacrosse, obviously. Like, yeah. that was that was the path you thought you were going to mm-hmm. go down. But you were also playing football, and you were also wrestling during high school, too. Yeah, so uh, I wrestled from about, I want to say, second grade all the way up till I stopped wrestling my senior year of high school. So I wrestled for pretty much my whole life and uh, played foot- youth league football from, like, first grade till I graduated high school, so... Uh, football is my first love, and then, like I said, going into like ninth grade, I started to realize, oh, I'm, I'm actually, I seem to be a lot better at, at lacrosse than all these other people. Um, but I always, once I got into high school, I kind of used football, wrestling to stay in shape for lacrosse. But there's things I was able to take out of football and wrestling uh, and put them in lacrosse and help me in that aspect. Uh, wrestling just helped with my position as a face-off guy, and then football, just the hitting and the intensity just, you know, kind of makes you a tough person. Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the things that we've noticed, uh, you know, growing up and stuff, talking to a bunch of different people, that it tends to be those who are multi-sport mm-hmm. athletes, that when you're growing up and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're trying different sports, you're doing different yeah. things, you really end up bettering yourself in your main sport. Like mm-hmm. when I was swimming – I was doing football and baseball, hand-eye coordination, a bunch of different things that you wouldn't think would translate into swimming, but somehow they yeah. did. And it's kind of the same thing with you with football and wrestling translating into lacrosse. So, obviously, a pretty good uh, lacrosse player. You were all Suffolk County uh, as a senior, uh, all division as a junior and senior as well. You were still playing club a little bit yeah. uh, during high school as well. But, you know, one of the things we, we kind of uh, have alluded to a few times in some of our guests uh, – in the lacrosse world, is it more important to be successful at a high school level, or is it more successful to be uh, uh, more important to be successful with your club level? Like, which side do you really get recruited from as a as a collegiate player? I think it depends what high school you go to and wh- who you're playing for. My high school wasn't very good. My high school is more of a the women's lacrosse team at my high school is very good. It's like two Tortons that graduated from my high school. Okay. Um, Football was big, wrestling was big, lacrosse was not. So I didn't have the best high school coaches. It, you know, my friends were on the lacrosse team, but they didn't take it as serious as I did, and that's no knock on them. So my club experience in the summer was very important and vital to me to get recruited to play in college. Uh, my club coach, Steve Jacobs, who runs Recon Lacrosse, which is a big supporter in military. His brother played at VMI as an Army Ranger, has done a bunch of tours overseas protecting us um so that was a huge part of my recruiting process and he helped me with a ton uh of schools getting in contact with me and me being able to get in contact with other schools uh so that was very vital to me but again it really does uh depend on where you go to school like for example san anthony's high school those kids you know they play sub uh, club lacrosse in the summer but uh they don't really have to if they don't want to because they play on the best high school team in the country out of Long Island. Yeah, so that that was kind of an in- it's always interesting to kind of see look at different sports, different things like swimming. High school really mm-hmm. isn't all that important at all. You're and you all focus on your club team, you know, ninety percent of the time. Um, so you kind of already alluded to a little bit about your collegiate recruiting. Um, we want to kind of go through what your process was getting through to Limestone because realistically, Limestone wasn't necessarily your first choice that you wanted to go to college for. Yeah, uh, so the first time I actually heard about Limestone um, was my dad's boss son played here for a little bit, and he, like, mentioned to me that 
his son's boss, plays Kyle Lacrosse at Limestone. I was like, kind of like blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah, cool, whatever, <laughs> whatever. And then I think the next year I go outside for whatever. It was like on the weekend. And I see the newspaper on the ground on the doorstep. And it's Lime, uh, Dowling uh, College men's lacrosse. Uh, national champions and I open it up and who they beat they beat Limestone and I was like oh that's funny like you said something about Limestone here they are they went to the national championship um, so I, you know it, Limestone wasn't ev- they weren't Limestone was never on my radar um, so like I had what I was thinking was you know I come from a military family I wanted to go to the Naval Academy my dad was in the Navy that was my dream school uh, um, so through that and you know I was able to get in contact with them uh, and, you know, I had to take an eye test, an eye exam, and uh, I took the eye exam and I found out I was colorblind, and right there my, you know, dreams crushed right in front of me. So I had to move on to, uh, you know, find other schools. I, I did a bunch of visits. Um, for example, I visited UMass, Villanova, St. John's, uh, and then some other small D3 schools. I visited Tufts. Um, I did a lot of – I visited – some maritime schools because the military was still something I was interested in. Uh, so next thing you know, I get in contact with Virginia Military Institute, another Division One school. Uh, do a visit there. Didn't really excite me, but I committed to it. And I committed to them anyways. I signed uh, because again, I come from that military family, and uh, I guess they, the coach that was recruiting me at the Naval Academy, ended up at Limestone. Uh, heard I was having some trouble with VMI. Uh, admissions so he hit me up I came down here for a visit next year I know I'm walking into the dorms and I see a bunch of guys that I played against in high school and they knew me I knew them Um, I had no idea there was a bunch of Long Island guys down here so right there I was like I connected go ahead I have to imagine like you know you're getting you're going to all these like you know D1 schools and you said that you went through the you went to D2 D3 it's like so you saw like the whole thing Mm -hmm. but you know I'm sure like the goal for most players you know in a perfect world is you know a D1 school Um, you know you come down here to the D2 school it wasn't exactly your first choice but you got here and it sounds like maybe like once you finally like you know stepped in it was maybe more exciting than you would have thought because you had those people from up north like you said and like tell talk us Talk to us about that a little bit more, like your first couple of, you know, weeks or so and yeah. how you joined the program and got your feet wet. Yeah, so, like, when I came around my visit, I saw a bunch of guys that I knew and played against on Long Island. Um, and then just talking to them, and then I think I came, like, I, my visit was the day before they scrimmaged Duke. And I'm, so I go back to the airport in Charlotte, and I ended up spending the night in Charlotte because my flight gets delayed, 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 and it gets canceled. And then I get a code, I get a text message from Coach Stewart, who was recruiting me at the Naval Academy, and then he came here. He texted me saying, hey, hope your flight, hope you landed safely back on Long Island. Uh, thank you for coming. We really enjoyed having you on campus. I just wanted to let you know we beat Duke today. We beat Duke in our scrimmage. Um and I texted him back, and I was like, "That's awesome," but I think I might as well just come to Limestone now because I still I'm still in Charlotte. <laughs> My <laughs> flight got canceled, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. And then about like a week later, I was just like, I just couldn't stop thinking about Limestone and the opportunity to come here and um, compete for a national championship was, you know, was just something that hasn't wasn't offered to me at those other uh, those other 
schools. No one ever said anything to me about a national championship. Uh, no one even – so it's actually real funny. Uh, I give a lot of credit to Coach Stewart, Brian Stewart, because when I came on my visit, everything that happened to me, he told me it was going to happen. He told me I was going to be a four-time All-American. He told me I was going to be a specialist of the year. told me I had a, a chance of winning a national championship and being a player of the year, um, which I thought was very ballsy of him to say. Like, <laughs> um, At the time, I was very out of shape. I'm like 215 pounds, senior in high school, and I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> like, you're okay. What a, all I'll right. take it, but I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so um, and he was right <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah, so, you know, you talk about a little bit of, uh, you know, coming to campus and just feeling it out. You know, a bunch of people we've talked to as well just kind of said that once you walk on campus, you kind of just get that feeling that mm -hmm. it's like this this is really where I'm supposed to be. And it kind of sounds like you almost had that here. And, and you mentioned right away getting into the national championship conversation with the coaches. And uh, it didn't take long for you to have to worry about uh, trying to put a national championship ring on that finger. You, you went right <laughs> in. Freshman year, 2014, you guys go through the year. I believe it was one loss during the regular season because yeah. that's the typical limestone men's lacrosse way. You don't want to go to the national championship game undefeated. We figured that out historically. If you go to the national yep, championship 2016 game. 2016, found that out the rough way. <laughs> exactly. If you go to the national championship game undefeated, for some reason, we don't know what happens. It just, for some reason, we lose in the national yeah. championship game. You go in with one loss, you're good to go. But 2014, you come in, um, you know, you're – you're uh, All-American third team, All-Conference all Carolinas. Um, you led the nation in ground balls uh, in per game as well as setting a new Division II record, which I think you broke the next three years straight as well, um, in ground balls with 204. Um, a 69% face-off winning percentage, which is astronomical numbers. Like, that's something you yeah. don't tend to hear of. Um, people in the lacrosse world may have heard, like, Trevor Baptiste, Greg Arillion, mm -hmm. like those guys, like, even some of them aren't getting that high, and they're yeah. the better face-off guys out there. Um, so just take us through kind of that first year, getting your feet wet in the lacrosse world, in uh, Division Two, and going through to that national championship game and, and winning that national championship, yeah. your first one. I think, um, well, it was a big culture shock to me, uh, I would say, after, like, the, f the first workout here and, like, the first practice. I was like, oh, boy. I was like now I'm in the meat grinder like this is this is gonna be tough right like first workout with coach lamb was a plate circuit out in out on Springsfield in the like 95 degree weather and the crazy guy made all the freshmen wear black <laughs> so it was terrible um and then like later that practice like later that day we go to practice and I see like the seniors are just barking at everybody and I'm like oh my god all I'm thinking is like don't mess up or like I'm thinking don't stick out I don't want to stick out I don't want to stand out and that's that's not a good mindset to have um, which I later learned but I would say you know just you learn right away when you're a freshman here you either buy in or you don't uh, and I was you know my com me being a competitive human being I just bought in uh, so, and then going to, like, how my freshman year for me went, uh, probably wouldn't have gone that way if guys like John LaRonga, Blake Weir, Mark Vidala weren't here as well. So, you know, I came in, I was told all this stuff that I could possibly do, and then they brought in a transfer in from St. Leo, John LaRonga. Uh, they bring in a kid from upstate New York, 
Mark Fedala. They bring in a kid from Texas, Blake Weir, who are all great faceoff guys. And I didn't end up being the starter. And I was losing to these guys in practice. So I just had to work 10 times harder. And I tell those guys all the time when I see them, like, you guys are the reason why I had success because you guys were better than me and I had to work harder. Yeah, so first year, obviously, winning that national championship. Second year, you start to get some of those check marks by what coach told you you were going to mm-hmm. be. You were USILA Specialty Player of the Year, first team All-American, all conferences, all region, all that. But on top of that, you were also the USILA Raymond J. Enters Award winner, which is the most yeah. outstanding player no matter what position you are, as well as the MVP of the Division Two National Lacrosse uh, Championship game that year where you picked up your second ring. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to the third one. Don't worry. We, we know you are in the third one, even though he's not wearing them right now. He's got three. Um, he could flash them all. It would be a lot on one hand. That, 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 that's a heavy hand. That's a heavy hand. Um, you know, but, again, you got better and better. You Again, you're at 75% in your sophomore year for winning percentage. You set another ground ball record. Um, you know, you just kept moving up. What was the process from the coaches that really got you to improve every single year? I think it was just made it hard in practice for me. Um, like when we do like full field face off, like uh, scrimmages, they would put the ball on like the other face off guy's stick pretty much, and so it just put me at such a disadvantage. It just make it very hard for me. Uh, say I went early when I didn't go early, <laughs> uh, make me frustrated. You know, just try to push my buttons. Um, I think that was it, right? And then again, th- the the face off guys that I had here would have been starters, top 10 guys in the country if they were anywhere else because they were really good as well. And there were days where I did not have a good day in practice where I probably lost more than I won. Um, So the coaches, you know, making it hard for me in practice, uh, telling me that I couldn't pop the ball to myself. I couldn't pick up the ground ball. I had to have a teammate help me to win that face off rather than just do it myself. Uh, which was I pr- preferred to do because I thought it was easier. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they putting me in those situations in practice uh, definitely, definitely helped. And then making sure I, you know, had a good, clear mind because there were some times I got a little hectic <laughs> on the sidelines. <laughs> well, I mean, whatever it did, it worked in practice. Like, let's look at this. You ended up as the all-time career leader in NCAA Division II history in ground balls, ground balls per game, face-off wins, face-offs taken. So whatever you guys were doing in practice, it clearly worked. They ticked you off enough where <laughs> come game time, it was time to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was interesting. You mentioned the, the use of your wingers. Like, mm-hmm. I, I remember just sitting through the broadcast team through all, all four years. I was sitting up in the booth with Fabian and Dr. Barry and – you know, we, we that's something we noticed, especially in the 2017 National Championship game where you had some pretty quality wingers that were working yeah. for you. Um, and, and we noticed that. We, you know, you were pushing them out to the wings. You were flipping it out to guys. And you were telling them what to do a little bit because obviously they know what they're doing. Yeah. But you were telling them kind of how you'd I, like to throw it out. Absolutely. I think the wings that I had was a big part of the success that I had. Uh, name drop a couple of them, like Jamar Pete. Anthony Quillis, Brendan Smith, uh, P.J. White, Mike Ponzio, like the Nina, Anthony Starnina, like those guys helped me out so much. When I couldn't win the faceoffs, they were there to have my back and pick up the ground ball. Um, sometimes they would ask me to buy them pizzas after the game <laughs> <laughs> because they thought they did. Uh, they helped me out more than uh, than I thought. But no, those guys did a great job and they helped me uh, with my success and. 
you know, if it was, if it wasn't for a number of people, and it was if it wasn't for the coaches, staff, and like the team, I probably wouldn't have had success. The success that I had, it would have been you know just another average faceoff guy. And I know we're on a little bit of a time crunch here this morning. Uh, you've got, obviously, uh, we're hiring some new coaches here, and you, you obviously want to get back in the recruiting trail as you guys are kind of mid-season in recruiting mm-hmm. right now. Got a couple minutes here. Um, as you graduate, you transition into coaching. Um, yeah. You start a little bit at Cornell, um, and then you move down to uh, uh, the school we will not speak of. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we get you back up here. Just kind of take us through your coaching journey real quick just to kind of wrap it up here. Yeah, so – I had to come back and do an extra semester before I graduated. I thought I was going to go coach at LIU Post, uh, Long Island University. Um, and then uh, right before I came back from my extra semester, uh, Peter Milliman, who was the uh, interim head coach at the time at Cornell, called me, asked me if I'd be interested in being their volunteer, and if I was interested in getting into college coaching, which I was. Um, and then I was just like, oh, this is what an opportunity. I'm going to go be the volunteer coach at Cornell University like one of the most historic programs in the country like yes like no doubt I'll, I'll be there um, when I got there I realized I quickly realized even though my title was volunteer I was not a volunteer as <laughs> <laughs> a full-time job yeah. right there. but uh, I loved it you know it, it was a grind and I love the grind um, and I learned a ton, ton of stuff from not just those coaches over there, but the kids as well. I, I learned a ton of stuff about myself and uh, what you have to do and, well, about myself, like what I'm capable of in coaching and then uh, as well as what it takes to be a college coach or not just a college coach, but a successful college coach. Yeah, and then, of course, like we said, we had that one year down, down south. And then what got you back up to Limestone? What was really the selling point that got you back here? Um, I mean, Limestone is always close to my heart. And then when Coach Clark called me and told me about the opportunity that, that I could possibly have to come back here and coach, I was just – I had to jump for the opportunity. Um, it also helped that my girlfriend wanted to come <laughs> down to the Carolinas. That's huge. So yeah. that, was, that was huge. She, uh, she, was, she wanted to make the move. Um, but yeah, uh, just to have the opportunity to come back here and coach with Coach Clark and uh, a place that's very that I hold very close to my heart. Um, yeah, if it wasn't for limestone, I wouldn't have <laughs> what I have today. Well, Kevin, we uh, we thank you for joining us here, and uh, we you know welcome you back to the Rock. And hopefully, if there's a, a national championship this spring, we can uh, add number four to the hand, eh? Yeah, wouldn't be too bad. I'd like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we get number five next year for the thumb, you know. Um, so again, Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Um, again, if you want to know any news and notes on Limestone Athletics, you can go to golimestonesaints.com, and you can find all episodes of the Breaking the Rock podcast at golimestonesaints.com backslash podcasts. Also on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, and iHeartRadio.